episode 167, How Pharma Can Work with Health Innovators to Improve Outcomes and Strengthen Brands, and vice versa. American healthcare entrepreneurs and executives you want to know. Talking. Relentlessly seeking value. Today, I speak with my co-president, Dave Dirk from Aventria Health Group, about pharmaceutical companies collaborating with health innovators, meaning health tech, HIT, or otherwise. There have been many articles written about the prospect of such collaborations, often authored, it seems, by people who haven't actually been involved in such an arrangement. So sometimes I giggle at the delta between the rose-colored version and the no-filter version, but at a minimum, I can say that collaboration is the future and pharma, just as much as any other stakeholder, would be well-served to get good at it. In fact, John Moore from Chillmark is going to talk about the essentiality of collaboration at length in an upcoming episode. So you're going to want to look out for that if this topic is of interest. But today, Dave and I talk about one kind of pharma health innovator collaboration, although there are many ways to hook up. We discuss how a health innovator can work with a pharma company to advance its core business. The best path to this goal generally begins with some kind of pilot. So the question our conversation answers is how a pharma company can leverage the wherewithal of health innovators to operationalize and pilot a care management, population health management, or other initiative. Of course, such an initiative is going to go down along with a third stakeholder, at least in our world. And that third stakeholder is an IDN, a large physician group, or other provider organization. My name is Stacey Richter, and this podcast is sponsored by Aventria Health Group. Welcome to Relentless Health Value, Dave. Thanks, Stacey. I'm glad to be here. So let's talk about pharmaceutical companies today and health innovators, health tech or otherwise. Let's focus a little bit on one way that pharma can partner with health innovators, and that is to actually work to augment pharma's core existing business models. For example, we're working with a number of our clients right now running pilots at large organized customers, meaning mostly IDNs, hospitals, large physician groups, and and really attempting and in some cases succeeding, to leverage the capability of the health tech vendor to assist the provider or patients in a way that's really a win-win for all stakeholders. If you had to state the upsides, Dave, of a partnership between a pharmaceutical company and an innovator really looking to augment the core business of a pharmaceutical company, what would you start with? I'd begin by saying that The experience itself is an opportunity. Merely by working in the space to develop innovation pilots has value irrespective of the outcome of the pilot. Now, talking about what could be the benefits of a successful pilot, it's many of the things that everyone is working towards. So how do we improve patient outcomes? How do we improve the efficiency of the healthcare system? How do we build and leverage data or big data? There is, of course, the patient experience. So if we can improve outcomes, if we can improve efficiencies, then we're going to most likely build better relationships with patients, better patient experiences, 
and better patient satisfaction. And that's what everybody is working towards. And it's a very in-demand benefit today as the market is increasingly competitive. And when that happens, then the branding of the pharma company and everyone involved rises in a meaningful way. As we talk about the competitiveness of the marketplace, the identity of the partners cannot be understated, That the importance of that. And lastly, efficiency, where if we can do things better, quicker, cheaper, we're going to meaningfully improve the healthcare system and our role in it. And it's achievable. Everyone recognizes the converse of all of that, that there are great inefficiencies. There's great dissatisfaction. There's not strong interconnectedness. And there's a great need for data, which will meaningfully move the needle. And just to go back to what you opened with, that there is benefit to simply embarking on a pilot to begin with and being able to collaborate at the level that you need to collaborate to run a program at an integrated delivery network, for example, you know, working with a health innovator. The one thing that I think is underestimated are the nuances which might not be clear in the data. So, for example, a pharma company might have all kinds of data relative to how their product is being used or how decisions are being made relative to the standard treatment pathway. But actually working with a health innovator as well as an integrated delivery network, the only way you can improve outcomes is to reduce variations in care. I mean, actually, I was listening to a Navigant podcast this morning and they stated that about 12 times. So I'm going to trust Navigant on that score. But what exactly does that look like? And how exactly does an integrated delivery network or any provider organization or even a payer go about achieving that result? When a pharma company does embark on these pilots, those nuances, the the learnings are really immense that come out of actually being a part of the process as opposed to a spectator. No question. And, And I think, too, that can feed future endeavors. Not only are you looking at the outcomes of that pilot, but that can inform future pilots in that therapeutic area or in others. So it's knowledge and insight and capability that will build upon itself. Nothing for nothing, but pharma has unique attributes that really they can bring to the table, obviously, besides the money (laughs) that a health innovator might be able to take advantage of. So first of all, pharma represents subject matter expertise in their therapeutic areas where they've been working for years investing millions and millions of dollars building knowledge and insights. And that's meaningful to their customers and their patients. And it's viewed that way as well. As long as it's put in the context of being a subject matter expert that is working to improve patient outcomes and the objectives of the customer organizations, the IDNs that are working with them. Secondly, when they build support, The benefit is they can build that support and amortize those costs nationwide. So they can build solutions and then deliver them to many customers as opposed to merely one over time. When you say customers, who exactly are you referring to there? For the sake of this discussion, let's call them systems of care, right? So it can be payers, it can be IDNs, 
It can be large physician groups, any organization that has significant patient or member reach and have the ability then to deliver population health. That's really when they get to see these efficiencies and the cooperation of these stakeholders who want to impact patient care at a significant scale. So pharma has the benefit of doing that across a very broad national patient population where their customers are working only within their own member or patient domain. Lastly, they have a lot of data. And part of what they do is generate data, investigate data, understand it, and learn how to apply it. That's meaningful to customers as well. Our excitement in this has always been, in some respects, pharma has a lot to bring to the table, and it's particularly unique. Other stakeholders, the health tech innovators, the large customers, the organized customers, they too have meaningful things to contribute. And if we bring all three together, you can get a very meaningful pilot that is beneficial to all the participants. Probably inherent in what you just said, Dave, calling out that that probably was a pretty clear indication of our point of view, let's just say, in the marketplace. You could run a pilot that was patient-directed or direct-to-consumer. In other words, you create an app that a patient is the primary receiver, first line. But generally speaking, when we're talking about pilots, what we're talking about is how does a pharmaceutical company partner with an organized provider group, for example, or a payer? So it's an organization that typically is treating the patients as opposed to going direct to the patients themselves. That's really the aspiration. How do we raise patient outcomes? And and by working with these large customers, they're motivated to do it. They have the infrastructure to do it. And you can get there more effectively through those partnerships. The other thing that's pretty clear, you, you don't have to talk to more than one behavior scientist to understand how difficult it is to unilaterally change patient behavior. So by partnering with an organized customer, like, for example, a provider, it's easier to be united toward a common aim than it is for everyone to work separately in their own silo. But you did say something which is a perfect segue into the next thing that I think we should talk about. What are the challenges there? One of the challenges a pharmaceutical brand team might face is attempting to figure out how to make a win-win when the success metric that the program might be evaluated on is share in the marketplace. Their brand objective is to raise their market share over their competitors. There are many different scenarios that need to be looked at. The disease state, the brand attributes, where does the brand lie in its life cycle? And maybe even what is the portfolio of brands by the manufacturer as well? You know, you have to also understand that there have to be aligned objectives. So customers, large customers in particular, might not want to deploy programs that look like they're all about brand utilization. If you can come in and show a program that's going to be beneficial in meaningful areas to these customers in a trustworthy and desirable way, that can be very, very useful and have long-term implications that can be beneficial to all partners. When you look at how to partner with these organizations, whether it's large customers or even the health tech innovators, I would propose that you want to do something that can be deployed and sustained and grown over many years. If it's merely a short-term fix, 
for brand impact quickly, there might be other ways to do that. What we're really talking about is a way to grow your impact in a very measurable, meaningful, sustainable way. Just kind of riffing on that point, you know, number one, it depends on how you set out the pilot and what health innovator we're working with and what the brand advantages or differentiation are. What you're just talking about with shared objectives is exactly the main point. If it's very clear what everyone's objectives are, generally speaking, it's possible to set up a pilot or maybe a pilot with an add-on. Um, after the program. So it's kind of two separate things, but that work together so that everyone's needs are met and everyone's objectives are achieved. Let's just talk about another pitfall or challenge that we've seen any number of times where a health innovator goes into a pharma company and the first line of their pitch is that their product or service or platform adds greater value to the existing drug. In fact, I was talking to a health innovator recently who went in and said that that was the first line in their pitch deck. They happened to be presenting in what's called a concept review. So there was lawyers in the room and pretty much the conversation just ended at that point and they were escorted out never to be all of their follow-ups. No one ever responded. Why don't you explain why? What we're talking about, as we said earlier in the discussion, is uh, historical pharmaceutical business models. You need to tread carefully and thoughtfully to avoid these pitfalls that have legal implications or that have unintended consequences from a financial point of view. There's implications to best price, to anti-kickback, to HIPAA or sunshine or fair market value. And all of these dynamics and more need to be considered before you bring the concept to review because poor positioning or a review committee that is stringent or not well-informed or not working as a partner to find the right positioning can all be death blows. And you need to come at it from a knowledgeable point of view to avoid these deadly landmines. And it definitely can be done. It's not something that is insurmountable. But when you come into it, it needs to be, you know, with deep thought and experience and knowledge so that you remain in safe harbors against all of these restrictive criteria. Every bullet that Dave just mentioned is actually a regulation that pharmaceutical companies must follow. So, for example, best price. There's a regulation that says that the government, CMS, Medicaid must receive the best price. So if you're suggesting, so say that you say that your health innovation adds value to the existing product, then if you roll that out with a payer or an IDN, then you are effectively reducing the price the recipient of the program is paying for the product. So you could be violating a best price contractual arrangement at that point, which is a big, bad deal. 
So that's just one um, example. All of those things are, are super critical from a pharmaceutical standpoint, which is why if a health innovator pitches that they're going to add value, no one is going to want to touch that with a 10-foot pole subsequently because there's already been kind of a footsteps into the no-fly zone. These endeavors can be uh, legally confidently deployed and then applauded as well. But it needs to be done in a manner that is confident that you're not stepping into questionable areas by using wrong messages, wrong objectives, or wrong words. Yeah, absolutely, for sure. It's a, it's a combination of both the positioning and then you know how the program is is arranged. You want to definitely make sure if you want to do it first time right, to make sure that you're working with someone who has successfully navigated all of those regulations in the past, because it definitely is a dancing between the raindrops operation. But this might be a good time to discuss what a great pilot actually looks like, besides being compliant and being communicated properly. I definitely have my thought on this, but I'll ask you first, Dave, what do you think the first most important thing is relative to setting up a pilot, which is ultimately going to be successful? I think unquestionably, the number one step is trying to identify what you want to accomplish, setting up your objectives so that you then can find partners that align with those objectives and share the goals of the program so that everybody is in sync with what you're trying to do. So are they the right outcomes? Are they meaningful? Is everybody aligned that that achievement is useful and desirable and sustainable? And then finding the right partner organizations to achieve that as step two. I would agree with you, but I would inject something also into that step one, which is a really deep understanding of what your customer is looking for. Because you can't achieve outcomes if you can't find a provider organization who's willing to work with you to deploy it. You're not going to get anyone to sign on the dotted line and agree to be the site for your pilot unless it's very clear to that organization what the benefit is to them. Generally speaking, we're talking about these provider organizations. They have 50,000 fire drills going on at any given moment. So it can't just be some sort of thing that they might like to achieve. It, basically, at this juncture, it has to be a problem that they are currently having, which has some urgency that they really need a solution for. So that if you walk in the door with the pilot, they're like, yes, this is something that I am willing to, you know, even if it's not a monetary investment, Time is a, might be, in certain cases, the largest rate critical. Time of the decision makers, stakeholders that are at that organization, anyone who's sold into an integrated delivery network or a hospital is probably rolling their eyes right now because this is so obvious. But it's the time of the decision makers, but also the time of the people who are going to need to roll this out which is a lot of times nurses, physicians need to be bought in, and then also not to be underestimated, it's the IT department and where this would fall in their queue. So unless there's enough of an upside, those downsides are going to discourage a pilot site from taking on the program. Just augmenting that first step, it's, it's definitely making sure that everybody's objectives are very clear, but that also includes in a big way, what is this going to deliver to customers? What is the value prop of this program? 
I couldn't agree more. I would also like to point out that the technology space itself is also extremely crowded. And so what we're talking about here is especially acute when you're talking about tech innovation. It's a very crowded field. And therefore, you need to be laser focused on ensuring that you are satisfying meaningful problems of these customers so that you gain their attention and their commitment and engagement to go forward. Definitely first step is what's the value prop of what you're doing? What's the objective that all the stakeholders are to really be able to formalize that? And, you know, as a pharmaceutical company, once you have that figured out, it makes it possible to look across the health tech or health innovation space and find a partner who might share that objective or might be best equipped to help you achieve yours. That in and of itself is a process as well, right? So once you've identified where you think the opportunity lies, then what's the process you deploy to find the optimal partner to work with to realize that? I'm going to talk about the second step or the second major step, let's, let's just say. And this is something that's near and dear to my heart, to structure the program like an MVP. And what I mean by that is a minimum viable product. And if you don't know what I'm talking about, I would refer you to Eric Reese's book called The Lean Startup. But that is something that it tends to be difficult or it's a, it's a divergence from the way that pharma sometimes thinks. Because what a minimum viable product means is what's the least that you can do? You still have to go through every step, but how can you do it in the most practical, efficient, cost-effective, the leanest way so that you can roll something out fast with the intention of this whole fail fast movement. So if something's not working right, you can fix it. The reason why this is so important is that whenever you're trying to do something new and you're trying to innovate, and I'm not stating anything that hasn't been proven repeatedly, humans are just pretty bad at understanding or foreseeing the first order consequences, the second order consequences, the third order consequences of things. So it's really impossible in a lot of these pilots to sit down and come up with the 500 step flowchart right from the very beginning. The best pilots are ones which are, are simple, they're lean, they accomplish the first foray into learning that's necessary. And I think coupled with that is a vision beyond phase one. So you start with an MVP program, you design an opportunity to fail fast if that happens, and then you look at secondary or tertiary opportunities that can be down the road if that's what you want to pursue. But the key is to build something that will have a high degree of success or confidence for success early on. That can be terribly valuable or terribly meaningful to all those that are involved, and then you can build from there. Yeah, and that's a super important point that you just made. The object of the game would be able to mid-course correct. So if you invest too much time in the upfront planning, it's kind of right-sizing the planning is very much the point. If you plan too much and you spend too much time doing it, then effectively you don't start. And the best way to come up with a viable program the fastest is to plan exactly as much as you need to and then just do it. 
once you get to step two and you realize that there's a slight tweak that you need to make, then you simply tweak it. If you create too much infrastructure at the very beginning, you make it much harder to mid-course correct. I mean, we've run any number of pilots. And I can tell you right now that there is always going to be a tweak here or there that you need to make. And if you box yourself in with too much infrastructure, you spend too much of your budget creating that infrastructure, then you don't leave yourself the space to make the decisions that will need to be made after you have embarked. And there's always decisions that need to be made. The other thing I think that was really important that you said, Dave, and I would phrase it just a little bit differently, is to set the program up so that it's almost like a template and it can scale. The other thing that we've seen go a little awry with some of the efforts that we've seen pharma make and you know, especially, you know, maybe this is the reason why we got called in. But there was a program that was created for a specific customer. And at the end of the pilot, the only thing that the pharmaceutical had was a program for that customer. So the other thing to be contemplating with this MVP, and this is also another reason why you want an MVP, is to ensure that whatever we're building is able to be rolled out broadly across the marketplace after we're done. There has to be universal learnings that we're picking up, not just knowing everything that there is to know about that one particular hospital. Yeah, maybe that's the difference between a pilot and a study. So if you're going to conduct a study, it might be a one and done, and then you have your data points. But if it's a pilot where you want to demonstrate the impact of certain interventions, and if positive, then you want to deploy more broadly across the total marketplace, you have to look at scalability right up front to determine if that's feasible or not. So if it's a desire or an objective, then the pilot needs to be built in a manner not only to satisfy the pilot, but then to satisfy scale-up or national rollout. Yeah, so true. You know, the next thing I would suggest as a step is pretty obvious, which but is surprisingly often overlooked. And that is to set success metrics, especially for the business stakeholders. You know, the, the people at the pharma company who are supplying the cash, it's really important that those who are ponying up the dollars to be very clear about what exactly they're looking for. It's also unfortunate if at the end of the pilot you say, hey, you know, did we measure this? And in fact, it is something that could have been measured, but we didn't put the process in place to capture it. So a crucial upfront element is defining these success metrics so that we get the greatest impact from the program that we can. It's often a step that is not adequately investigated and tested to ensure that it's there and right at the beginning. Yeah. And so frustrating when, you know, it's discovered after all the data is in that someone had been looking for for something else. And I think that's really important for people on the pharma side to understand that their input into those, you know, what success looks like is it's critical. It it's, might be the most key thing to determine whether at the end of the day, the pilot's going to be a success or not. You know, if you haven't specified what success looks like, then it's really hard for anything to be successful. And you made a, a great point that I would love to reiterate the breadth and depth of people that you speak with in the outset so that you can best identify uh, what you want to measure and accomplish from all of the right perspectives, as opposed to limited perspectives where you miss opportunities because you didn't speak to other stakeholders. 
And speaking of stakeholders, another aspect of a successful pilot, once again, that that overlooked as much as it's seen in my experience, is ensuring that the stakeholders within the pilot site have been embraced with open arms and openly communicated with throughout this entire process. What I'm talking about there is ensuring, for example, the medical directors that are going to need to have their teams rolling out this program, that they have been a part of determining how the pilot will roll out with their teams and that they are fully bought in. Uh, Number one, making sure that the nurses have been trained who are going to be doing this and the physicians, you know, once again, or that everybody's in agreement on site, that this is something that everybody gets the why and agrees that the how is the best way to achieve the why. Because if that doesn't happen, it's often said, and I couldn't concur more, that sometimes the technology is the easy part. The hard part is actually getting people to adopt or adapt to roll out or use the technology. Because clearly you can have the best technology in the world, but if you build it and they don't come, then you're not going to get any outcomes that you're looking for. I'm smiling as you're saying that, Stacy, because I vividly remember being in a large meeting talking about EHR installations and the nursing leaders were very frustrated that they didn't have adequate input into the deployment of the systems, despite the fact that they are the highest end user of the EHR. And so it's a great lesson that all of the stakeholders not only should be considered for deployment, but should also be engaged in the planning process as well, both because you gain buy-in, but also then you gain insights to ensure that that you can achieve the objectives and that you don't run against unforeseen obstacles. And just to be perfectly clear, at that meeting that you're talking about, Dave, they weren't talking about a pilot that we did. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. That's correct. Uh, And then the last thing is that after the pilot is deployed, it's not like there's no support that's necessary. So, you know, another area that is super important to consider, because if you don't have it, it's going to wind up being a gap. There needs to be a team, you know, I would hesitate to call it a, a help desk, but a defined contact that the care setting, that the pharma company, that the health innovator, you know, all the partners can make sure that they have available to them so that if there are fire drills or problems or questions or whatever, that those individuals have that point of contact so that their question or concern can be triaged. And I wouldn't underestimate, number one, the necessity of that, but number two, the importance of making sure that that happens. I mean, there's nothing more frustrating. You're a nurse at a, you know, trying to do something and you're trying to do the right thing and you have a simple question and there's no one who is able to quickly answer it. Yeah, we we work in a complex area with great variation and diversity among the stakeholders, whether it's the patient's or the providers. And so to anticipate and solve for questions and issues up front helps to ensure that the deployment runs smoothly and satisfactorily and lastly successfully. Just to also kind of clarify the point, what we're talking about here is after the deployment of a pilot, which was a collaboration between a pharma company, a health tech innovator, and you know, obviously it's deployed at a care setting. And I I state that because 
if this is a collaboration between a pharma company, there's going to be account managers that are involved for one. So we, we can't lose track of them and the questions that they might have. But also all those regulations that we were just talking about above aforementioned, that helped us really has to understand what those regulations are such that they don't communicate something which, let's just say, is off message or doesn't accurately represent the program. And obviously that program was developed in such a way to be regulatorily compliant. So you want to make sure that everybody really understands what we're doing here so that nothing gets said unintentionally, which would put the program out of compliance. In addition to the issue of compliance is the issue of success and reputations and your customers want to have the confidence their brand identity is going to be enhanced and not impeded by what gets deployed. So to the extent that you can build confidence and foresight and expertise in the deployment goes a long way. And if that's not optimal, it can be very detrimental both to the program and future programs as well. So usually at this point in the podcast, Dave, I say, tell us a little bit about your company, which in this case is Aventria, and where can people find more information? So why don't you handle that task? Thanks, Stacey. What we're talking about is an informed approach to deploying meaningful and successful pilots with health tech innovators large organized customers and pharma companies to demonstrate improved outcomes in many different domains. Aventria Health Group, our website is aventriahealth.com, is a company that specializes in that respect. For many years, we've developed industry-leading initiatives that are designed to improve clinical outcomes, reduce healthcare costs, and drive patient experience and satisfaction. And never more have those objectives been desirable and pursued in the marketplace by all the stakeholders. We'd be delighted to share our insights and experience with those that are interested in doing these types of programs going forward, because we think it's, while complex, it's an exciting area that is very poised for success and there's a great need for it. And we're very optimistic about the future of these types of initiatives. Yeah, david.dirk at aventriahealth.com. Thank you. Thanks so much for being on the podcast today. Thanks for the invitation. Links to everything discussed on the program today can be found at relentlesshealthvalue.com. If you visit the website, relentlesshealthvalue.com, you will also find a complete listing of all of the shows that we have published thus far with leading entrepreneurs and executives in the healthcare space today. Another cool feature is, you know, you can subscribe to the show so that every week the episode is automatically sent to you so you don't have to remember to go to the website to download it. Thanks so much for listening.